I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. This week, it's a first for Conversations of Inspiration as I'm chatting to two co-founders and twins, Danielle Newham and Natalie Bardega, founders of F Equals. I first came across F Equals when I bought their infamous Girl Power t-shirt for my niece and became obsessed with their brilliant posts on Instagram, which they use as a platform to inspire, motivate and empower women to rise. Their weekly interviews with inspirational women shine a light on those changing the world for the better, but whose stories are relatively unknown. And their slogan fashion range supports the charity World Reader, where they donate £10 for every Girl Power t-shirt sold to help deliver digital books to children and families in developing countries. Because they believe education is empowerment. Fans of their tees include Holly Willoughby, Emma Bunton and Tandy Newton. I had the most lovely morning, curled up on my sofa at home with Danielle and Natalie, and we chatted about running a profitable business with purpose, the importance of sharing our stories, and how we can all empower the next generation of female entrepreneurs to start a business. It's so lovely to have you both here in my home. We've got our cups of tea, comfortably snuggled up with the cushions on the sofa, and now I can't wait to talk to you both. It's the first podcast with two people, let alone sisters. I've been admiring what you're building for a while now and look forward to your posts on Instagram. They always make me smile and make me think in the morning. And I just love what you share. You both have such an incredible eye for content and knowing what content will actually empower women and make them feel less alone. I think in a world where people use Instagram a bit as a vanity project or where we compare ourselves to the perfectly styled, perfectly gym-toned bodies or the perfect holidays abroad, your Instagram and your blog cuts through that. Welcome to my home. That's Thank you so nice much. introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, I mean so every nice. single word. Uh, well, it's lovely to have you both here. Right, so um, starting off, um, Danielle Nestle, your sisters, you're actually twins. I know. Yep. <laughs> What's it like working together? Well, it's quite an interesting one because Natalie and I, actually, beside the fact that we're twins, we're very, very different personalities. And I think I've inherited my mum's kind of fiery nature. And Natalie's very much, much more mellow, like my father. So I would say it works perfectly. She might disagree, but I think it works perfectly because I'm reined in a lot by Natalie. And I think I give her a bit of fire in the belly. So I think it's, it's worked quite well because... You know, when we started out, I was, you know, adamant that this was a business that we would build together. We knew from day dot that it was going to be something we were going to do together. And we actually haven't worked together before. Um, but it was just, it just the timing was right. I had just, you know, decided this was something that I thought was needed in the world. And Natalie had just finished working in fashion for the, uh, most of her career. And we got together and we decided to do it. And it has worked really well based on the fact that we're so different. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think we, we complement each other, definitely. Like Danielle said, we're completely different, different personalities. She definitely pushes me. I'm, I'm much more structured. I like my lit to-do list and I like to work through them. Whereas Danielle will jump in and go, oh, I've got this idea. And then everything will just throw it into that. And that did make me uneasy at first, but I trusted her. 
and probably because she was my sister, I trusted her more than if I was in, in a business partnership. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And it's worked. Most, most of the time it's worked. Not yeah, all of the not time, all. but most, yeah. I'd say we well, right. I don't know if you know, but I've worked with my sister now for over 15 years. She was employee number three at, at Not in the High Street. And she's my secret weapon. She's co-founder of Holly & Co. And she's also my best friend, which really helps. But also, I know that we can talk to each other in a way that you just couldn't, as you said, with a business partner. It's a sort of te- telepathy, I would say. And you know when to stop uh, and, when, uh, and when you can push it a little bit further. So I'd love to start with your story. Maybe you could tell me a bit about your backgrounds and what led you to founding Fequals. Do you want to start? You start. Okay, well, so Natalie obviously has a very different story. We, as kids, I think, you know, we'll talk about this later in the letters, but it wasn't an easy life. There were things that happened that were out of our control. And I think that kind of brought us closer together because as twins, we we had each other's back the whole time. Uh, We do have an older brother, but I think there was that connection of going through certain things together and an understanding that we'll get through it. If we have each other, we'll get through it. But we did take very different paths. I was always quite outgoing and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, whereas Natalie was quite focused on, on her kind of time plan. And I just remember meeting one of my brother's friends at university and he had studied PR. And I thought, well, he's a great guy. He's really good at selling stuff. He's very confident, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. If I have the, the skills of, you know, being able to sell, I think I'll do okay. So I just kind of signed up for that degree, did it again, not really having a plan. Uh, secretly always wanted to be a writer. Like I always knew in my heart that's something that I wanted to do. Um, but basically I started off in the music industry and I then went to fashion. And then I didn't really find my kind of calling until I ended up in the tech industry. And it just felt like home. It just felt like this was what I was meant to do. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And, it, you know, growing a business, you know, when you're working in a startup, you see firsthand, like, all the kind of troubles that, that happen as part of a startup. And I knew that I, I liked that excitement. I liked the thrill of, you know, not knowing what's going to happen and, and doing your best to push every day. And I think that suited my personality as well. I'm quite phonetic. Like, there's, I need a lot going on. And then my now husband and I set up a mobile apps agency And it was literally at the dawn of the iPhone. The iPhone had just come out and we just timed it perfectly. So we did really well. And that was, you know, a great experience. But then when I had my child, I just kind of took a step back, obviously. um, And I started to get kind of more irritated by certain things because I was just aware that mobile apps had been going for like a few years. And suddenly there's loads of people jumping on the bandwagon. Everyone's trying to make a buck out of it. And I just wanted to tell the stories of the people that created these apps because I felt like people need to understand these people better. So I did start writing and on my maternity leave, I wrote a book and it, and it was just a blessing in disguise because I think if I hadn't have had the book, I would have gone into a kind of deep hole because I was, you know, had gone from the frenetic kind of startup world to being a mum, which is fantastic, but I found it really, the pace slowed down so much and all of my days were filled with, you know, a baby crying and it really and uh, you know people say now oh I think you must have suffered from postnatal depression and I say well I, I hate the term you know it, when you give it a term it sounds like it's abnormal like if you get sad because your baby's crying throughout the night and you're not getting any sleep is it abnormal to then be upset about that or is it perfectly normal and human to be like I don't you know I don't know if I'm cut out for this you know I remember actually in the first week of bringing my son home I thought my sister would make such a better mum than me. I'm really considering, like, handing the baton <laughs> over. I'm sure she'll be fine with it. But anyway, we got through it. And, and so, so I'd written this, this first book, uh, and I found it really, really difficult to interview women. So I was interviewing a lot of men, you know, and, and learning their stories. And every time I approached a woman in tech and said, I'd love to tell your story, you know, can you, you know, do this interview? And I would just be met with excuse after excuse, like, I don't have time, there's so few of us, you know, so, you know, there's, I really can't put my time to it. And so I kind of vowed that I would go back one day when I had more time, because I was obviously on maternity leave, and I would just write a book about women. I would just literally make the whole thing about women, and if it took me four years, that's what I'd do. And that, that's pretty much what it did. So that was um, Female Innovators at Work. And around the same time, I'd gone to a tech industry event while I was on maternity leave again, and... It was just so obvious that there was very few of us. Like, there were very few women, but also the women that were there were on the periphery. Like, the men had their startup T-shirts on, so they had their logos. So someone would go up and go, oh, you work at Facebook. Oh, how lovely. 
And I, and I just saw these women, like, literally standing on the outskirts. And I thought, what if we could wear a top? Like, what if we could have a conversation starter and make ourselves more visible? So that was the idea, which I went home to Natalie with. And I'll let her take <laughs> over from here. Yeah, I mean, my background is, is different to, to Danielle's. She's, uh, you know, the writer. I loved sciences. I kind of always wanted to get into some sort of caring profession whether it was um, I really did want to be a social worker unfortunately I did a work placement in Camden and had a bad experience <laughs> that made me very upset and I thought I, I'm not cut out to do this so I ended up doing psychology at university and once I left university our parents had always been quite strict in terms of okay if you're home you have to pay rent you know we we stopped getting any sort of pocket money at 16 and, and we worked for any money so when I moved back from university I ended up getting a job working on the shop floor of a high street fashion company and after a, a few months then the head office was above because it was in sort of a startup phase I think we had about 10 shops when I first joined and they needed someone to do admin and, and try on the clothes. So I moved up to head office, loved it, loved working in the fashion industry, uh, and I just climbed the ladder there. I was very fortunate to work with an amazing company um, that was family-run, and in fact, my boss was a woman, and she could be very tough, but extremely fair is what I would say, and always encouraged, always you know, she would say, this is up to you. You can do it, you can, you, but you just have to do it. So she kind of opened the door for me and everyone felt like a family and it grew and it grew and I was there 11 years and finally they sold the company to some investors who were all about quickly expanding as rapidly as possible. It was all about the money, money, not the people and the people had been the ones that had grown it. And they didn't listen to us. But I'd had enough by then. By then, you know, I was in my 30s. It's definitely a younger person's game. Um, where it had been a family, now we had grown so big, there was people clambering to get your job and your position. And I was working all hours. And I was making myself sick, like really ill. So I just said, that's it. Quit. And I went travelling for three months across America by myself. I was like, I don't know where I'm going, what I'm doing but I want to care about what I do. And then I came back and Danielle had a baby. And, and as she said, we, we were having conversations just about, you know, my experience of working with women, her experience of seeing the lack of women in her industry. Then we were trying to think of names of women we admire. And I was like, oh, well, there's this person. And then I literally had to Google to find more information and, and find out about certain women in science. And I thought, this is absolutely crazy. Why can't... I can name men off the top of my head. Women, I can't. Uh, and Danny was like, well, let's see if we can combine something. What, let, what if we tell stories of women in tech? And I was like, OK. What if we sell a T-shirt and ha have a conversation start? And I was like, yeah. And then on top of that, we decided that we would also work with a charity to make sure we gave back. And I was like... Yeah, because I care about the fashion side and I want to be able to make a difference. And, and really, that's how it started. And it was full steam ahead. Wow. Really. Wow. So the combination of you going back to wanting to care yeah. and your, your observation of what was happening out there, marrying those two things together, you've been able to come to this wonderful point and you have the best name something that I advise all small businesses is that their name actually means something that it's clever um, that it has a story behind it so what's the story behind the name and I know you've now also slightly rebranded the name yeah well we started off and I have to say we we didn't actually give it much thought to start <laughs> with we, we wanted to do these t-shirts and immediately we started googling let's see what t-shirts were out there um, and we decided we were going to do the T-shirts because we thought it was a great way to make women more visible. So we decided we were going to call it Teas and Totes because we were going to do a bag as well, and I, I just like the name of it, and I just, you know, like Natalie is more sensible and I'm a bit more impulsive. Mm. I was like, right, Teas and Totes. So I started, you know, Googling, oh, it's available, okay, let's do this. And then as time went on, and the kind of interviews became much more important to the business. So we thought, we'll do the interviews. It's a nice thing to have. It's like a legacy about women. 
but we'll also do the T-shirts because that will be our bread and butter. And actually, you know, we found as time's gone on, the interviews are far more important. Yeah. We have more people coming to our, you know, website to look at the interviews and share the interviews. And actually, it's not the easiest word. Like, even someone today said, oh, I love your T-shirt. What's the website address? And I was like, F-E-Q. You know, and it's like, it's not the easiest. However, it's memorable. And I think what I was thinking at the time is I liked F equals because I thought it could stand for anything. You could have F, and as I imagined it as a capital F equals, and it could be F equals feminism, F equals female, F equals fighter. And I just pictured all these kind of different words that meant something. And then I also said to Natalie that, you know, this is just perfect. It's about women coming together, meaning lots of different things, and actually our force together as a sisterhood is going to make change. So for me, that was it. So I was completely sold. That's brilliant. Tell me, how long have you actually been going? So the whole business in itself has been going four years. Uh, It's gone remarkably quickly because when we started out, there wasn't, I mean, um, there wasn't much like us around. And, you know, we weren't like saying, okay, let's do this because someone else is doing it and we think that's cool. We were very much like, let's bring our skills together. Let's make women more visible. And it was as simple as that. And like, we were probably naive, naive, which I think is an asset. I always say to people, this is why I say people in their 20s just start the business, because they're not constrained by what other people think. Or, oh, well, I don't think that's a good idea. It's all about this feels right to me. I'm going to try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And, you know, I, I've continued to write. You know, I, it's not uh, Natalie's doing so, you know, some things on her own as well. And I think it's, it's our main thing. It's what we do together. But we will continue it because yeah. I think if, you know... I feel it's more needed now than ever. When we started four years ago, we couldn't have expected how the world would change. Um, And with Trump coming into power, I think it became very obvious that what we were doing is actually more needed than ever. And we found that as we've grown over the years, our community has grown. And even now, when we get feedback saying, you know, what you're doing is, is changing things or moving the needle, even if it just moves the needle slightly, then we're doing what's right. So, yes, four years. And, and what surprised you most about these last four years in terms of, you know, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are building their own businesses. And, you know, we talk um, on conversations of inspiration to lots of people who maybe have been in business for 20 years, 25 years. And, and it's wonderful to hear those insights. But I'm interested, you're four years old. So, so far, what have been those surprises or in the sort of business terms of building this business? I think from my point of view was we knew it it resonated with us and wanting to know this information about women but I don't think we knew how far that would reach and I do get still to this day surprised when suddenly we'll have an interview and it's it just goes viral and people are going oh I'm going to show my daughter I'm going to show my grandchild I'm going to show my mum I'm going to wow I never knew this happened and for example we had um Danny Cotton who is uh, works for London Fire Brigade the chief officer now that interview was just phenomenal and I and I was just surprised because she'd been in working in in as a commander in the London Fire Brigade for a while um we've had obviously female firefighters but just the response I still get teary when people show us pictures in their girl power t-shirt and they've got their medal because they've just won some black belt in karate. And I get really like teary still to this day when I see that. There's still not enough visible women. And I know people are changing it and, you know, bigger companies are coming on board and, and doing, doing things to increase the visibility um but yeah that that still surprises me to this well day. I mean just talking of your t-shirts you know I absolutely love them I bought your girl power one for my niece um I have the woman's place is in the boardroom jumper um I haven't yet worn it into a boardroom <laughs> I'm saving that for a very special occasion <laughs> but I'm wearing it today have you got any great stories of women wearing them into board meetings I'm talking about this specific jumper or what have been people's reactions to the jumper, you know, when um, you're wearing them? Well, I, I can say that the, it has always been very positive um, from my perspective. I don't know if other people have other stories. When we put it up on social media, we always get some kind of reaction about, oh, a woman's place is wherever she wants it to be, which we wholly agree with. Like, you know, we can't make a million tops with everyone's kind of own slogan on. And also we get people who are offended saying, well, I'm a stay-at-home mum. What if I just want to be that? And I say, well, that's fine. As in, we're not telling you you should be. I'm saying we should have in place 
more opportunities for women to be in the boardroom. Um, so it's always been very positive. And actually, like the whole mission was to start with, it's been a conversation starter. And the most surprising, in fact, when you said earlier about the, what's the most surprising thing, uh, can I go back to that quickly? Mm, I would just say community for me has been the most surprising because I've never worked in a business where community is so wholly important to what you do. And I think that we, we've learned a lot of lessons about community and community building and how important it is to start early on and how important it is to be authentic. Because um, we know a lot of companies that will hire people to do their social media, which is, you know, I, I can see how it works. But for us, that was ne we've never outsourced it. There's always something that's come from us um, because we believe in the importance of kind of being authentic. Also, one of the biggest surprises is how hard it is because mm -hmm. I've watched yeah. other people run businesses like and I've been very close to them, but I don't see them at home. And now I see and, and I get criticism when I say it's all consuming and it's 24 seven and, and people are like, oh, you can't say that. It no, is. no, you must <laughs> knock off at five. You must. And, and I believe in all of those things. And if you can get the work life balance power to you. I can't, and I think women find it hard, especially if you're a mother. And I think, I actually, I don't want it to be that imbalanced because I love what I do. And I think that when it's your mission, it is all consuming. I mean, I think about it at night. I don't go out. I have no social life. I literally think about work all the time. I think it's, a, it's an interesting point, and we'll come back, obviously, to the question, but we talked about it at the Congregation of Inspiration, this work-life balance. And then we talked about how there's no such thing. If you love what you do and do what you love, I certainly believe that that is a happy life where you have work within it and family within it, yourself within it. And sometimes it will go out of kilter and sometimes it will be more balanced. And actually to stop obsessing about trying to departmentalise your life and the scales. But it's also, I, I hear you, where people maybe don't like to think that building successful businesses, when people are really open and we don't act like we're baking granola bars at 6am, doing a bit of yoga, looking pretty good at 8am when I'm at the office, <laughs> smiling. When you don't do that false story and you actually say, it is all consuming, it's the hardest work you will ever do. You will think of nothing else and you will try and fit everybody else into those thoughts. People slightly don't like to hear that. Mm. And I certainly know if I hadn't have given my everything to building Not on the High Street, my everything to building Holly & Co., we wouldn't be here today. So I, I, think it's, it's, I think more people need to say the truth about it. But my passion is ditch this work-life balance, even conversation that we have subconsciously now. Mm. And it's more about I have one life. I'm going to put all these elements in and concentrate on building what's happy for me. But going back to that original question, you were saying about the boardroom and the jumper. Do you have anybody who's... Well, no, but you this going is, to, yeah. yeah, because this is interesting. This is why I was combining the two questions, because basically the thing that surprised us is how many men yeah. wear this jumper. Yeah. In fact, there was a time when it was like spiking and there were more men buying the jumper. And, and wearing it. Yeah, and wearing it. And I thought that was so lovely because we had so many kind of male founders who were pretty much setting out the message to their company that this is how we are going to build this company. We are going to be inclusive. And I, I was over the moon by that because A, it was completely surprising. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And B, I just thought it was, it was not something I was expecting at all. Well, very powerful isn't yeah. it very very yeah. powerful and then the message that was spreading to the company yeah who would you say the most exciting people have worn your t-shirts and jumpers who do you have one standout person or I mean for me um Tandy Newton um wore our rise sweatshirt to the London March and that's just everything to me because it's exactly what we intended them to be about it's about speaking up um, she's a phenomenal woman. I can't rate her enough. She just love one of the loveliest people that we've managed to be in contact with during the whole process. But definitely, that I would say has been my highlight. And just to see her, we didn't we, we we didn't even know. We found it in the press, and I think we squealed quite a bit. Yeah, it was quite funny because <laughs> um, the the kind of the top the uh, the top the picture that's 
been the most rewarding for us financially is Emma Bunton and Holly Willoughby. And we'd always wanted the Spice Girls to wear the girl power top because obviously it completely made sense. <laughs> that would be a yeah. yeah. And I think, we, you know, we always tried different ways to kind of get tops to people because, you know, we did not ever spend money on marketing. We didn't spend money on, you know, all oh, right, we're going to send 100 tops out, you know. We were so naive. I was sending tops to the Kardashians. Literally, I love a bit of detective work. And I've always, like, kind of trying, stealthy, trying to find out stuff. And I'm convinced, I might be wrong, but I'm convinced I found an address for Kris Jenner. It was like a business address. And I sent it, and I was like, oh, every day praying. And, of course, it never happened. So, but, yeah, with Holly Willoughby and Emma Bunton, I mean, every time that picture was posted, it was, it was like, seller. Holly Willoughby. I mean, really, it was phenomenal. But yeah, I agree with Natalie 100%. Tandy Newton, to us, represents everything that we're about. You know, she's a brilliant woman. She's all about equality. She's all about sisterhood. And she's championed us from the start. I wanted to interrupt this podcast with a Holly & Co. independent party message to launch my yearly campaign to implore you all to shop independent this Christmas. For over 15 years now, I've encouraged consumers to buy handmade or shop independent from a small British business. And I've decided that this will be my mission for the rest of my career. You see, it is such a passion of mine because I see firsthand where your money goes. Your money doesn't go into buying a CEO's super yacht or even into someone's city portfolio. It doesn't go into making the richest man in the world even richer. No, when you shop small, I've had the pleasure of watching exactly where it goes. Small homemade kitchen table startups or small independents on the high street take their profits that you create and turn that hard-earned money into a mortgage payment or a dance lesson for their little ones, a new studio to expand their business. I've seen their precious earnings help a sickly relative create the ability to buy a first home or maybe even that holiday that they could never have taken if it wasn't for your loyalty. Your money changes real people's lives because every time you spend your money with a small business you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. So let's support real people by shopping small. Let's put our money where our hearts are Let's shop independent this Christmas. To find out how you can get involved, head to at Holly Tucker on Instagram. You can also use the hashtag Campaign Shop Independent or come and visit me at the Holly & Co Campaign Headquarters where you can join the creative campaigning and help spread this important message far and wide. Thank you all for listening. Something I'm talking to a lot of businesses at the moment about is creating a business which balances profit with purpose. I've created a Venn diagram, actually, that has three circles to do good, feel good and be good. The be good circle being a way your business can give back. Your business is certainly based on giving back. Not only are you empowering women, but proceeds from the sales of your clothing goes towards World Reader, which is a global non-profit organisation on a mission to deliver digital books to every child and their family. However, I think it's often seen as a struggle, actually, to balance profit and doing good, in your case, giving back to charity. Can you give any advice on what you've learned or how you've worked out how to make your business sustainable but also profitable? I think it, it has always been a challenge because we, when we set out, we knew that we wanted to do it and we'd never done it before. So we didn't know exactly how it was going to work. And in fact, I don't think we even thought about our profit. We thought as long as we can have a wage, as long as we can keep going and we know we're doing good, for us that was enough. Mm. But obviously as time goes on, you realise, you know, to keep this business going and being able to give back. So we set a, um, a thing very early on of how much we could afford to give from each top. And it was so critical to us that, you know, we, we wanted to give more, but we knew that the kind of 
part of what we were doing wasn't even necessarily giving the money. It was raising awareness about the charity. And I think that has been phenomenal. Like, we've been able to do that, you know, with celebrities wearing the tops and stuff. And can I just stop you? That's quite interesting because I think maybe there's another way of looking at it. Like you said, I do give something back, i.e. financially, but maybe you could look at the cost of the marketing that you're doing for whatever you're backing as a pound or whatever you know as a value and I think that's a sorry to interrupt you but Mm. I thought that was just worth mentioning because Mm. I think people just we're always used to charities and we just give Mm. money Mm. and I think that now moving forward there are different ways that we can give but continue oh no so I was just saying that I think you know for us it has been about building awareness for them because there are lean months there are times when you know we don't make a huge amount of money and and obviously the charity only receives you know money on stuff that we've sold so for us it has been a lot about uh, raising awareness for them and I think in, in terms of making your business profitable I actually I truly believe that if you put purpose at the core and you actually are doing good people will come to you and I think that's how you can make your business profitable is by actually genuinely doing some good in the world and I think for us had we just been a t-shirt company and it was just slogan tops we probably wouldn't still be here today so I think you know I've seen other uh, businesses that have set up And they've changed their pricing because as they've got bigger and they've employed more people, they've had to kind of lower how much they give to charity. But then they're they're selling more tops, so it works. So I think as long as you know what your costings are early on and what you're going to assign to the charity, and like we discussed, realise that value doesn't come just from donating. You know, charities have donations constantly coming in, but actually other ways that you can help. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like Danielle said, we we knew from the start that we were always going to give back. I I was the pedantic one looking at the margins and saying, okay, this is what we can afford to do. That will cover the cost of the T-shirt, we'll get it done, and then the rest, the profits, will go to the charity. But to counterbalance that... We'll, we'll have another T-shirt that, you know, we don't donate to charities. Mm-hmm. And it's not everything goes to charity because we do, you know, we have to pay our wages. And, and you know, like you say, we do give out um, our interviews and our blogs, which is is probably driving our, our visitors at the moment, mm-hmm. our community. But like Danielle said, I think it's about people know we care. It isn't just about the money for us and and like Danny said I think if you've got that driving you behind behind you you really put everything into it your whole heart and that comes across for us I think across all our platforms on on social media and anyone who who meets us we've got a personal relationship with World Reader you know we're not just another company that get oh yeah okay here's five pounds to charity we tick it off our list because we need to be perceived to be doing something and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Only last night I was at an event and someone reminded me, you know, Holly, remember, you know, build something authentic, build yeah. something strong, build something with meaning, build something that's going to change the world and the money will come. Yeah, and it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's um, something to keep reminding yourself. Lots of people listening will be at early stages and it's that struggle. But if yeah. you've got depth, mm. um, you know, there is a much brighter future you're mainly a content platform where you host fantastic interviews and you're building an online community. I know from personal experience that it's not easy <laughs> and it's something that takes a lot of work and a lot of time and you give away so much for free. And I think we're now in an age where everyone is just used to absolutely mm. free content. You obviously are a small business. How do you make that work? No one knows what goes on behind the scenes, especially, like you said, with social media, the effort, the time. I mean, it is hours of work that people don't see and I'll be up and then something will happen and you have to react to it and you have to be aware. And again, you have to be responding to people on social media. You, We care about our community. We don't just post it and leave it. We answer them. We share. We, you know, we get DMs. That is really hard and it's really hard to balance. And, and Danielle does say to me, know your value, know your value. So if we're, if we're doing something, how long is it taking you? Why are you doing it? What's, what's the meaning behind it? We have had to balance. Like you said, we started off, we were, we were thinking we'd have clothing and the blog. In fact, the blog and our message has taken us up and we have become more of a content platform and a community platform so what we've had to do is slow down 
on the fashion side of things, we still have product and we'll always have product, but we've just shifted our focus, I guess. You only have so many hours in the day, but like you said, the content, I mean, it's a lot of yeah, effort. I mean, it's interesting you asked the question because this is something that this year has all always been for us, like how are we going to get to the next step? And we have decided that the fashion is something we want to continue. But when we started, there weren't many other kind of slogan top companies and doing similar things. And now there's an abundance. We don't want to be competing constantly with other, you know, slogan top companies. And also that's not what we're about. We feel like we've made women visible by doing this content. And I think with any kind of platform, you have to spend X amount of time building it up. And that is for free. And you will put your time and effort in. But once you've built it up to a certain point, which I believe we're at now, like we reach 100, over 100,000 people a day, majority women. And I feel like we're at the critical point now. We're at the tipping point. And so what we are absolutely focused on from literally this month is we are going to monetize it in a way that doesn't affect the community, i.e. we are going to do partnerships with brands that are fully focused on the empowerment of women. And that is now our focus. And we started to do it and we've had a great reaction. And it's never going to be like we're going to post adverts on our site. We're yeah. never going to do that. But we are going to be smart. We're going to find uh, critical partnerships that are absolutely in line with what we're about. And, and we're going to work together to create even more content and still be able to give it for free. Gosh, brilliant. I mean, it's a, it's nerve wracking, I'm yeah. sure you're going to be out there, you know, selling your business yeah. to people. But it is at a point in time, I always talk about perfect storms. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're in one and we businesses are very much looking to partner with authentic companies to talk about things that matter. Mm. But they just can't do it, even if they, you know, the, the head of marketing in that department, yeah absolutely mm. cares is in on the marches because of the brand that she's working for she's never going to be able to get the same message across and working with like a business like yours mm. but just on those interviews that you've done you've interviewed many incredible women have you had moments where you've had these sort of changing points in your lives because of who you're speaking to I mean, for me personally, every woman that we interview has inspired us in some way. I feel like every, I've always believed everyone's got a story. But I think the women who have, for instance, it's very foreign to me to do kind of adventure exploring mm -hmm. type thing. I'm so not that type of person. Like, I'm not going to climb up a mountain. It's just, I mean, one thing is I've got fibromyalgia, which is something that creates a lot of pain. So I wouldn't even be able to. But I am absolutely amazed by the women like Meg Hine, who is... I mean, she's a survival expert. She works with Bear Grylls. And, you know, we've talked about it many times with her, but what she does is so unique and it's so far-fetched from what I've ever done. So I'm completely inspired by adventurers and explorers and mountaineers. I mean, we've interviewed so many women that have accomplished things. And it's not just, you know, day-to-day, -day, like they're great at their work. And, and we've That's interviewed phenomenal. loads of great women like that. But we're talking about women that go on these expeditions where death is very real, you know, where they, they might not make it back. And so for me, that's because it's so foreign to me, that is truly inspiring. Danielle, you, your whole world has been actually, as you mentioned before, tech related. Mm. And you wrote this book, Female Innovators at Work, Women on Top of Tech, which included these 20 female entrepreneurs. Out of those interviews, just could you briefly tell me about what you think women will do in this space in the future? Well, I think um, one of the reasons for doing the book is I knew these women existed. I just knew that there were women who had done great things in tech, but no one spoke about them and no one covered them. And one of the women I interviewed, actually, she made a very good point. This woman was called Linda Weinman, and she set up a platform called lynda.com, which was basically e-learning. And it was in the early days of websites. Um, she did phenomenally well, and she sold the business for whatever billion, you know, to uh, LinkedIn. And she said at the time, because I said, oh, you know, were you upset? Because there wasn't much press coverage. Like, how does that happen? You've sold your business for over a billion dollars. You're a woman in your 60s. Like, it's quite a unique story. And she said, I can't tell you. She said, we got literally marketing person after marketing person in. Because she said it wasn't just her story that was amazing about what she was building. It was the story of the janitor who learned how to code and then went on to like run an IT department at the university that he'd been a janitor of. And she said, these human stories were incredible and no one ever covered them. So for me, it was all about unearthing these women and creating a legacy to say, look, you all think that it was all Steve Jobs, Bill Gates. And, but look, there's all these incredible women. And, and one of the main reasons for doing the book also was to inspire the next generation. Because people talk about this pipeline problem. 
but it actually starts in school with a high percentage of girls don't actually take engineering and it's because they get put off. And I, I saw recently a story on Twitter where a woman said, oh, yeah, well, actually, I didn't take engineering because I was told it was all boys and I'd be the only girl and I wouldn't like it. And then everyone else came out of the woodwork and said, oh, yeah, I had a similar story. And I'm thinking, well, these lecturers or these teachers, they have a responsibility because the way we're going is everything is going to require some technical knowledge. And, you know, the, the future is technology. And I think that if we don't allow for our girls to be part of it, they're going to be left out of the equation and they're going to be left out of making critical inventions which actually aid all of us. And we all know that if you have something invented just by a male team, like all-male team, there's a lot that's left out in the equation, whether it's the design or, you know, there's a lot of things that aren't considered if you don't have women on the team. So I I'm 100%. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. When we started Not on the High Street nearly 13 years ago, being a tech female founder was quite a scary world to be in. Firstly, as I didn't really have any experience in tech, mm -hmm. that little thing. We knew we wanted to build a site and put creative small businesses on this. And the only other marketplaces that existed at the same time, which I still just can't believe, was eBay and Amazon. Yeah. And the one basket checkout didn't exist. I remember in 2007 trying to call eBay in America, where it was being tested in beta form, in my naivety yeah. to think, well, maybe they that might helps. give it to us. Um, so also, you know, so being in a business that sold handcrafted products to grey-haired men and male investors was also pretty tricky. But I used to go to those events full of men. I had major imposter syndrome. Sophie and I even used to take trips to Silicon Valley and Google, and we were majorly out of our comfort zone. But it was all about trying to become this world-class tech team based in Richmond. I've now even christened it um, Richmond Silicon upon Thames. <laughs> but that was 2006. And so a lot of things have changed, thank goodness, mm. um, from that point. But what would you say the tech landscape now is for women? And, you know, how can we support women in tech? You know, is it, as you said, encouraging our daughters? Is it about actually taking the time to find out where women are founding tech businesses and using those services over another? Well, I would say it's, I mean, there's many facets to it. I think definitely starts in school, because I think if you're not kind of encouraged to follow that route, by the time you get to 18, 19, you're actually quite way behind. Paul Graham, who's the founder of Y Combinator, he said that men have an advantage over women in the tech industry because they've been hacking for longer. And there's a lot of uproar, but there is something to be said for that. If you're a teenage girl and you're interested in gaming, or you know, then you should look at how it's made and start getting interested into the nuts and bolts. Why do you just want to be a consumer when the boys are able... You know, I, I've got a son, so I take him to this particular event it's called Institute of Imagination, which is fantastic. And it shows you like all the kind of nuts and bolts and how to create different technologies and how to code. And it's predominantly male. And it's nothing to do with the organisers. I think it has something to do with the parents and the schools that are kind of encouraging it. So I think it definitely starts at school. It starts at home. And now there's some great books that are mm. targeting girls. So like, you know, Rebel Girls is obviously one that talks about all the great things that women have done. But there's some like um, Rosie, the engineer. There's all these kind of books. I've got that one. Yeah, actually. it's fantastic. Yes. I, I bought three or four copies and but gave so it to good. all the girls that I knew. Yeah. Well, we, my son's six and I've been reading it to him for like a couple of years because, you know, obviously at, at some point he will he can read it now but when he was younger I just thought it was important for boys to understand as well because yeah. half the problem comes from girls not being encouraged and supported and then of course there's the other half where if you're in an all-male environment men who I mean I know male engineers who have said when I was hiring at a particular startup don't hire a woman like they can't code like it was literally something they believed and I was completely shocked so I think teach young boys all these different role models and explain, because now my son grows up thinking nothing of there being a female engineer yeah. because he's read about, in fact, he might think it's more likely that you're a female engineer than a male because that's the book he's read. So I think representation is massively huge and really important. But I also think in terms of businesses, I always say, well, I've said it for the last few years anyway, there's never been a better time for women to start businesses yeah. and especially in tech. Like the tech now allows anyone anywhere, especially mums, like the fact that you can sell using social media, like Instagram for some people is their core sales platform. And I think that's critical. And I don't even know if they are aware that, okay, you're using technology 
for your business here. I don't think so. No, but that's... Isn't it interesting how we can have conversations where another sort of rewiring that I did was when businesses were going struggling and they were struggling to balance things and they felt like they're being terrible parents and it was all that sort of conversation. Um, And actually I said, well, let's look at it the other way around. You're doing more for your children in business... And in the real life, which when you look at, I always talk about the fact that we're, you know, by um, 2020, 40% of the workforce will be freelance. I pretty much know Harry's not going to have a nine to five job. Yeah. So actually, maybe what I'm doing is educating him in a way that when he looks back, he's going to be so thankful because Mm. for everyone who don't have, doesn't have that business in the home or the other, where were they getting that learning? So I think it's exactly the same thing. You are actually using tech by using Mm. Instagram. You are, you know, it's not just about some sort of Mark Zuckerberg and the (laughs) sort of, you know, coding and falling off roofs and all this sort of stuff that goes on. And I think we've got to haven't we changed Mm. that narrative Mm. Uh, another narrative that you I feel have changed and certainly when I think about calling myself a tech founder I look back and I would never have called myself a feminist I actually didn't even feel like I'd experienced much sexism looking back now um, and actually looking and maybe just Mm. being older and having moments of slowing down I absolutely realized that I had although My favourite moments used to be when I would uh, walk into a room, you know, blonde hair in a man's world, founder of a so-called shopping site full of crafty sort of things. And I would be completely underestimated until I started talking and pitching. Uh, My co-founder Sophie used to say it was my legally blonde moment. (laughs) But back then, the word feminism and feminist was not really favoured. I remember you know, it's actually not too long ago. It it still was a word that scared people. Where do you think you first called yourself a feminist? Yeah, I mean, it's strange. I mean, I would, I like you, probably would never have called myself a feminist. And I think there was always that stigma. People threw that word around in, in a bad way and would call you out, you're a feminist just because you spoke up, which I think is terrible. And I think the narrative is changing on that. Um, but I guess we have probably been feminists all our lives. I mean, our grandmother worked and was, you know, had had a portfolio of of property that she she did, and and she earned the money, and she, you know, she wouldn't take much from from my grandfather. She always wanted to be independent. We weren't aware at the time. No one ever spoke about it. It was all she's just your grandma. You go around, you have tea, and you cut cuddles. It was never actually this woman was a force of nature. So we've been lucky that we were surrounded by her because she's a great example. And then, like you said, Queen's College. I mean, I always smile when I talk about Queen's College because the girls in our year were phenomenal and have always been supportive. It was a right mixture. No one really judged each other. You were who you were. and, And throughout our lives, I think, these women have championed us. We've championed them. So for uh, for me, I've never not been surrounded by strong women because then I worked in a clothing company that was run by strong women. Unfortunately, there were experiences, like you said, afterwards when we got sold and I had to go into board meetings with bankers and out to dinners and they don't take you very seriously and they put your arm around you. But at the time... You, you normalise it. Oh, it's just normal. They're just... Actually, it's not normal. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have touched you. They shouldn't have asked you inappropriate questions that they would never have asked a male. But you were a young girl who worked in fashion and they thought you were ditzy. So I think, for me, the realisation that was a feminist is probably within the last five years from when we started the company. I think from then on... And sometimes I get angry about it, especially with to do with Trump. You know, yeah, women are angry. And we have a right to be, and we can be. Why not? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not really a, a label person. Like, I've never considered myself a feminist as such. I 
believe in empowering people that need empowering. And and I think that, you know, we, we touched on earlier about how things went great growing up, but one thing that always stuck with us from our mother and our grandmother is you must help others. You must always help others. And I think, so for us, I think there was this point where I realised that women need help being more visible. So, yeah, I mean, I, if I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist. Like, for me, I want to empower everyone. Like, I'm all about the fact that there are minorities that need more empowerment in technology as well. So I think, yeah... Give me any label you want, as long as I'm helping people empower people. I'm with that. Well, I remember actually when it was, it was, I went to a phenomenal talk from Annie Lennox, and it, she's a complete hero of mine. Uh, this must have been about five or six years ago, and she asked the room, which was full of a room of um, women and entrepreneurs, and asked if everyone could raise their hand if they were a feminist. And very, very few people. They all, Everyone looked around. I looked around. I mm. didn't put my hand up. She then asked the room, who believes in social, political and economic equality of the sexes? Does that. Yeah. And everyone put up their hand. Yeah. She declared the room that you're now all feminists mm. and that's what it is. I hadn't even understood the definition properly. And so after that day, I've always been... I think, being a proud feminist, with the emphasis on it's just about equality. 100%. But I have a special love of empowering women mm. in business, especially as 95% of partners are not in the high street, are women. 80% of my followers are female. So what would you say the future is here? Do you call it a movement? Because I sometimes, by calling it a movement, I sometimes also think, though, Shouldn't it have always been the case? Is it a movement? Is it, is it just actually a moment in time that should have happened and by calling it a movement, it feels like maybe it's going to finish at some point in time? I think it is a movement yeah, and I really. think um, it should have definitely happened before. Um, but I think, you know, I, we're all, criti you know, obviously critical of Trump um, and people like him. However, I am thankful for his presidency based on one thing, that it made people sit up and say, okay, we can't take this anymore. Okay, we've been taking this for years now. Now, the fact, in my opinion, that he won purely because they didn't want a woman made me think, okay, okay, this is it now. We've And it's 100% a movement. And I see it all the time, especially through, you know, Instagram, so you see this movement. And social media powers the movement. If we didn't have totally. social media, mm. this international movement, like, you know, you look at the marches that happened, they happened globally. Because in every single territory, there's someone saying, I'm not going to take this anymore. And I think it's 100% necessary. And I think it may, when, when, we, when you talk about movement, you say, you know, it, will it end? I, I don't think it will end because I think there's, it will just kind of shape into something else because I think there's constantly a need to lift people up and, and put the right people in power. And, and I think in history, things have happened for, for many different reasons. And um, partly it's because of si kind of society, yeah. as in we accepted things as normal. Like Natalie said, you know, this happened and, and you said earlier about what happened to you and you said, and we didn't realize, but now looking back, and I think this is like a massive magnifying glass on the world right now saying, this is not acceptable. I mean, there's nothing more that can be done really, in my opinion, to make us more alert of how, you know, this movement needs to keep going and change things. And your mission is to inspire, motivate and empower women to rise. What things do you think every one of us can do to help this? You know, we, we talk about, you know, um, the plastic at the moment, you know, and all the little mm. things that you could do in your household to stop that happening, the environmental impact. So what little things do you think we can do as women, as men, to start to mitigate what we've been suffering in the past and how we build the future? I mean, for me, definitely, without a doubt, which is what we do, is, is to tell your story, to own your story. Whether it's good, bad, just tell it how it is. If people are using their voice and they're speaking up, that encourages the next woman to do the same thing and the next woman. And if you see something, say something. So if you're in a room full of women and something inappropriate happens, call, call them out. I think women have this, what I find, maybe it's women of a certain age. Um, you know, I grew up and, and things were normalised, totally normalised. Someone could touch you, can infringe on your body... And it's boys will be boys. It's the locker room 
mentality. And actually, I think now what's happened, because women are coming forward, the next generation below us know that that is not acceptable. The girls and the boys, you know, it, the boys know not to behave that way. The girls know, actually, I can call you out on that. And I, and I think it's those taking those small everyday steps of if it makes you feel uncomfortable, if it's not right, you say something. If you've got an idea, speak up at, at the boardroom table. There's no reason to be embarrassed. Just say it. If it's not a good idea, they won't go forward. If you think it is and you've got reason to believe it and you've got proof and you've got back it up, I just think we need to raise our voices. Yeah, I would echo that. I mean, I definitely think that we need more of our stories out there because, like I said about the women in tech, the more you see yourself in other people, the more you can say, I would enter that industry. So especially if you're a young girl, and this is why I'm always, every woman that I meet that works in technology, I say, are you on Twitter? Nearly all of them say no. And I'm like, please, I get on Twitter. They're all, oh, I'm so scared. People will know what I'm doing. I'm like, you don't need to give out your kind of GPS coordinates. Just say... I've worked on this today, I've worked on that, because that's how we tell others, okay, look, there are women in tech, because look, they're here. And I follow, like, some great women in tech. But I think, in general, women need to put themselves forward first as well, because I have come across so many women, and I say, can you talk at this event? You know, I know a great organisation... Oh, no, I can't do that. And part of it is the imposter syndrome that is a big thing. But it's also like demands on time, you know, especially if they're a mother. And, but I feel like we have to do that. If we want more women in any industry, we have to put ourselves up for stuff and we have to be seen. So definitely raise our voice. I also am a massive, massive advocate for women starting businesses because I hear all the time, I can't get funding. I'm like, don't wait. There are crowd, I mean, there's never been a better time, as I always say, there's crowdfunding sites. Mm. If you've got a great idea, see it on Instagram, go on these crowdfunding sites. Every single woman that has a business idea shouldn't wait around for someone else to do it. Just go out and do it. I, and be seen. I, I, I just couldn't agree with you more. I use the analogy um, that running your own small business is like being on a wild roller coaster, an epic, epic ride. Can you tell me what has been so far your greatest high? I mean, I mean, because we, we discussed well, this well, for me, definitely, I think having someone like Tandy Newton wear it without a doubt, and that was I couldn't we couldn't have foreseen how how it would resonate so well with people so that has definitely been I would say my high yeah I mean there are lots of highs and lows like you say with running a business it's it's almost daily like there's something great and there's something awful you think oh my god I want to quit but I think the overriding thing going back to what we said earlier about purpose the purpose is the thing right so when uh, we do meet up with world reader every so often every few months and um, the lady that we were talking to there was telling us the last time we saw her that she'd gone over to, um, I can't remember where it was, I'll have to find out, but she'd basically gone over and shown the Girl Power t-shirt to a group of girls, and they'd asked her what Girl Power meant. And then she explained, and she said, and she was on the spot because she didn't realise they didn't have their own definition of Girl Power. And so she talked about what it meant to her, and she, and she said, you all resemble girl power because you're all now reading you all have the ability to read now that's empowering you and it I mean I came close to crying when she told me the story because sometimes you don't you know like when you sell a top you don't see well you might spot someone walking down the street and that is a high in fact I will go back to another high admit but yeah world reader you know and doing work for them and hearing the stories of how there are girls now reading in remote locations that never had a library that for me is a high but the other high is completely random. I was once in a swimming pool with Natalie, actually, and my son. And there was a lady. And it was the first time I spotted someone wearing a girl power top. And I had to stop myself jumping out of the pool, dripping wet, you know. All chasing. Crazy woman. Yeah, chasing. You know, mine, yeah. it's mine. I wanted, because she was the you other know, side of the glass. So I wanted to literally come out of the pool, run through. And I was like, but I, I mean, I really had to keep, I was swimming, swimming, looking. Oh, God. And anyway, eventually she went. So that was quite lucky for everyone concerned. But yeah, that was another high, seeing it for And your... Uh, you know the dips the roller coaster has lots of dips doesn't it a low yeah I, I mean you know many more lows aren't there in business yeah. than there are highs so yeah. picking one I think for me I think for us actually it's when we've been copied so girl power for us I mean you know our stuff gets copied all the time we've had every high street brand almost copy like one of our tots but girl power is so special to us and I think it's so unique like the colors and you know, we've had Girl Power copied a number of times, and there was one particular time when a certain 
celebrity um, had copied it and it was everywhere. And I said to Natalie, this is going to negate what we've done because this woman is so popular. She has millions of followers. People aren't going to know our story. So Natalie's very sensible. So I'm raging here and I'm like, what are we going to do? This is just despicable. And Natalie's like, I know, I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> and she did. She wrote a letter. Yeah. And to the lady's credit, we got a phone call. And then the mother called us because they ran a shop together. And they, they would have made millions because it's, we know who it is. It's the same supplier who's copied our stuff and goes touting it out to celebrities. And they called us up and we said, look, this is for charity. You know, please, uh, we, we've done so much work on this. You, you know. And they stopped. Wow. Yes. Credit to them. Yes. Thank you for such an insightful, thought-provoking and blinking girl-powered yes. interview. I feel I want to put Beyonce on now and, yes. um, and get back to trying to change the world. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you. um, you've both been very wonderful, positive people and looking to make the world a better place. So really seriously, well done. I know you've both prepared a letter to your younger selves. I've not seen or read these, as I never do. It's such a joy to hear it firsthand. But what I also love is I know that you both haven't shown each other. So in a first on this podcast, letter to younger selves from twins and co-founders. So I hand it over to you both. As Natalie's the oldest, I thought, <laughs> I'll put that in. She, I think you'll go first. Okay, I'm going to try not to cry, so apologies. Um, hi, Nat. I don't want to give you too much advice, as I think you've turned out pretty great, but here are a few things I want you to know. Regardless of what people may say, dyslexia does not mean you're stupid. You will sometimes get frustrated and doubt yourself, but you will learn to embrace that your brain works differently. It will be one of your strengths... And in fact, later in life, technology and spell check will actually be a godsend. So keep pushing, keep striving and never give up. You will experience great loss and I'm sorry I can't change that. But you have people in your life that will light up the darkness if you let them. So please do. I promise you, you are not alone. My one piece of advice is to listen to them. Let them be there for you. Share your story and feelings with them. It will help, I promise. Stay away from people who make you dim your light, who absorb your energy. These people are toxic and it's okay not to want them in your life. Don't feel guilty. Appreciate the women in your life. They know you. They know your soul. They have seen you at your most vulnerable. They love you in spite of your taste in music and bad singing voice. They will be your biggest cheerleaders throughout your life and without you knowing it, will be at your side every step you take through the good and bad. Trust me, these girls are fierce, so nurture these friendships. Lastly, own your story, bear your scars. They tell where you have been, but not where you are going. That is up to you. And I won't tell you it's easy, but you girl, you got this. So enjoy the ride, love unconditionally, laughed uncontrollably, dance to your own beats and always light the way for others. Oh, I like that. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, dear Danielle, the world you live in will change greatly thanks to the power of tech and you will feel at home with these changes. You will see the good that it creates far outweighs the negative and you will champion this as well as its creators. In fact, you will share their stories in the hope that the world better understands them and how they change the world. But before all that, life has some hard lessons for you. To the little girl who found joy in the smallest things, I can't lie to you, life gets really tough. Things will happen early on, which are way out of your control. You will learn that life isn't always fair, but you will also learn that life is short and so very precious. And there is huge value in knowing this. Remember, in all things, there are lessons to be learned. Find them and learn them quickly. They will help you heal. What your experience teaches you is the importance of doing what makes you happy, finding your purpose and trying to make it profitable. Know that you rarely take the easy path and that is okay, as long as it moves you forward. You will also learn that you have enough resolve and determination to withstand a lot. And through the pain and the self-doubt, you will come out the other end with greater grit. 
You will learn the greatest lessons in motherhood and surprisingly they teach you more about business than you ever expected because as you will find, looking after a child successfully is pretty much akin to running a business, just more stressful and the pay is pretty shit too. Through it all, you never lose your empathy for others and whilst it takes a lot of your energy, it proves to be a superpower. Never disregard it, instead use it to build a business that matters. Finally, don't let people who don't belong there take room in your heart, even if you think they're meant to. Don't stay in situations which cause you pain out of loyalty to loved ones. And never listen to the naysayers. Instead, follow your light and let it lead you where you're meant to go. Finally, please go run and find Mama and envelope her with your love. You'll thank me later. Ah, I think... Um, I don't know what you both went through and why, you know, you... Um, that was your path, but what I know is looking at two sisters who were holding each other's hands through that. Um, I, for one, am very grateful that you um, have each other and that you're building something really beautiful and it's going to last a lifetime. Um, you're the yin to the yang um, and it's a really beautiful thing to see. So I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come